just say a few things this morning. Um, I'm just trying to mind the Lord right now. Um, just speak to you, speak to your heart, speak a little bit from mine. And if I may be a little bit bold, um, try to help. Maybe some of you understand what Brother Morgan was getting at. Uh, he gave you meat is what he gave you. There wasn't much milk in that, what he read or said. I don't mean that sarcastically or arrogant. Um, I know you didn't. I know, you're fine, brother. You're fine. You didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you did nothing wrong. Um, and and I, I'm going to, with God's help, and, and again, I'm not adding to, taking away, or saying I can say it better, I'm any better. I, I'm not at all, but I, I know because I know his heart and him and I has had numerous conversations. I'm going to be real with you this morning. I'm going to be open and I'm going to be honest. Um, I enjoyed our revival we had a couple weeks ago, last week. I feel like God did some things. I feel like God wanted to do some things, and I think he still does. But... What I seen out of it is I think more people got more excited about the preachers that we were having than they did God. I'm afraid that's that's where we were at uh, for the most part. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Now, me as a pastor and you as a church member, church attender, have to prove me wrong. And what I mean by that is by your actions over the next few weeks and months, that'll show me that it wasn't just another week of us gathering together. It'll show God. Um, and what Morgan was, was saying is, he's not telling you not to come to this altar and pray, by no means. That, is, that wasn't even close to what he was getting at. But a lot of times people come to the altar, and I've done it, we come with good intentions but we don't really go through with what we say we want God to do, what we promise God we're going to do. And I'm, again, I'm as guilty as anybody. We don't, we're not being real with God. We don't do what it takes to do those things. I'm going to give you an example. And I'm using myself so you can get mad at me. Um, Many times in a service, I'll say, God, when I get home tonight, I want to take some time to set aside an hour and pray, get alone with you on a sunny night. You know how many times I probably follow through with that? When I leave here, I have full intentions of doing that. But it doesn't happen very often for numerous reasons. Now, I can blame it on my wife. I can blame it on my kids. I can blame it on this, and I can blame it on that. But you know who's really at fault? You're looking at him. You know why? Because if I really wanted to, I would look at my wife, I would look at my kids, and I'd say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take care of yourself. I'm going to pray. And they can do what they want. I don't mean it arrogantly or mean, but what I'm saying is, is God that important? to you and I. If he was, we'd show him. We'd prove it. And and I've seen, hey, I, I've wore an altar out for years trying to overcome certain sins. 
came and come and come and come and come and come and come again. Just keep coming. But until God struck a chord in my heart when I was willing to deal with it, that's when the change came. And that's what Morgan was getting at. We need to be willing to deal with our sins. I'm going to read something to you from this song. I had a message on my heart, but, but I just, I, I'll mention it to you, and that's going to be all. But there's something, a line in this song that just stood out to me this morning. It has, every time we sing this song, it's like something new. But in verse 3, it says, Nothing between, like pride or station, self or fringe, shall not intervene. Though it may cost me much tribulation, I am resolved. There's nothing between. Myself, my friends, and my family will get in the way between God and I. I don't mean lost friends and family. Well-intended Christian friends and family can and do get in the way sometimes. Our love for God should be so strong that in comparison to our family, it's hatred. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about hating your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. That's what it's referring to. And I don't know how much time we got here on earth. We may have 50 years. I don't know. I don't think we do. I really don't think we have very much longer at all, to be quite honest with you, for lots of reasons. There are so many things going on right now, you can't even keep track of it. Do you realize that Biden nominated a Muslim for the World Bank? See, you don't know this, but there's already one World Bank. They're already in control of all the money. And Biden nominated a Muslim for that position just in the last week or so. Um, that's, that's not a uh, sarcastic statement against the Muslims, but folks, whether you want to accept it or not, they're not our friends. <laughs> I mean, you, you take, you know. But I, I'm going to give you this real quickly. I'm going to give you something to think about, and, 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 and I'm going to step out of the way just in a moment. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel. Chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 12. Everybody find it, just say amen. Let me know most of you are there. Two people found it. I'll give you just a minute. I still hear pages turning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to read down through verse 8. Sound like most people, I think, have found it. Uh, still got one or two more. All right. Verse 1. In the, now, understand a lot of things that just happened. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, the Pharisees, all these people are uh, starting to, to try harder and harder to turn up the heat on Christ to trick him. They, uh, by this point, they definitely know they need rid of him. <laughs> they, they need him out of the way. So in verse 1 it said, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, 
he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, now that means they were the ones right there close to him. That means they were right there initially against him. Now imagine this mob of people that are literally stepping on each other, shoving each other down, pushing each other away, trying to get to Christ. It's been a long time since I've seen anybody get that excited about Jesus. At least in this country. And he told his disciples, he said, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Now, folks, I want to tell you what a hypocrite is, because this is thrown around sometimes a lot, especially at Christians. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they claimed to be something they were not. If you're sitting here this morning and you know deep in your heart that you're not born again and you portray yourself as a Christian, that is a hypocrite. If you know you're not, now, the world will call every one of us hypocrites because they see us sin and do something wrong. Friend, I'm going to tell you, if you follow me very long, you're going to find me do something wrong. You don't have, you don't have to look hard. I've got them. I'm not proud of them. I don't like them. I don't want them. But be careful about calling people a hypocrite. Don't throw that word around very loosely. The world will take care of that force. And what he's saying is that every teaching that the, that the Pharisees did, which we know were false, because they, they had everything was on their, their look, their actions, how they looked, their outward appearance was what they focused on. Their heart was filthy and wretched, but their outward appearance was something to see. Verse 3, and he says, That'll be revealed. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Uh, he's telling the disciples that what they are going to say, what they're going to proclaim, what they're going to teach and preach is going to be proclaimed everywhere. And friend, let me go ahead and take this a step further. Every word that you and I say, thought that we have, will be revealed at the day of the judgment seat of Christ. Everything you do, and a lot of times what you do and say is revealed here and now. Um, the truth will come out. I have been told things this past week, and then I was told something totally different. The truth came out in the end. Now I'm going to get to the meat of the message, and I may preach this tonight, and I may not. I'm basically giving it to you right now. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom he shall fear. Fear him which, hath, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two fatherings and not one of them is forgotten before God? But in the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess with the angels of God. I want to give you three things to think about, and, I, and I'm done this morning. In this world today, there is no fear of God. I'm not talking about the lost. I'm talking about the church. I don't expect lost people to fear God. They should. They definitely should. Now, years ago, there used to be a fear of God in the world as a whole, even in lost people. They recognized what God can and what God will do. I just read to you 
It said, do not fear him that kill the body, but after can do no more than they, but afterward, uh, can they do no, I've done mess up, can have no more that they can do, but I will forewarn you whom he shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed power, hath power to cast into hell. You've heard me say many times, I've heard preachers say, God don't send you to hell. According to what the scripture just said, he does. Let me ask you as a church a question. Do you fear God's judgment? You should. We have pushed God's, and I'm a preacher of mercy and grace, and thank God for all of it. I believe in it. But thank God for mercy and grace because I need it. But we as Christians do not fear God's judgment. I don't mean so much what we do to other people. I mean what we do to him. Our respect and honor to him. Yes, you're saved. Yes, if you're born again. Yes, you're going to heaven. Yes, in God's eyes, you're made perfect through Jesus. But while we live, we still give an account for our actions and what we do. And I want to need God's favor. And if there's sin in my life, I don't have God's favor. Guess what I have? I have chastisement. And that requires judgment. You need to fear God's judgment on you as a Christian. Number two, do you fear his justice? God is just. He is holy. God's judgment is without slant. We fear things of like our house burning down, our house flooding, our spouse dying, a car wreck, not having food to eat, not being able to pay our bills, on and on and on. But the Bible says don't worry about that stuff. Do you know that God counts sparrows to the point that that he feeds them and if one of them falls... He recognizes it. The Bible says that the very hairs of your head are numbered, even John's and and, uh, Jeremy's. And some other people's. But it doesn't mean he knows how many they are. It means he keeps track of every individual one. If he takes that much thought for you, don't you think he's going to take care of you? God has never failed me. I weigh more right now than I've ever weighed in my life. Make less money than I've ever made. And I probably got as much or more than I've ever have. That's truth. But do we fear God's justice? God's just. When we go out in public and conduct ourselves as Christians, do we nitpick, gripe, and complain to the point that we get our way? when we probably should have let it go a lot sooner. Let me ask you something. Can you witness to somebody after you leave them? Have we conducted ourselves in public places to the point that if somebody walked into this church, you'd be embarrassed? And you'd want to sneak out the back door? Do you fear God's justice? You should. You should. Lastly, and I'm done, do you fear God's justification? Let me explain to you what I mean. There's not a a greater act of mercy in the universe than God's mercy on us. I appreciate your testimony. Um, I want to say this in saying that. I've had that same song on my mind all week, and I don't know no more of it than what you just sang. If I'd have knew more of it, I'd have kept singing with you. Neither one of us would have been able to sing worth a lick, but we'd have sung it together. For the glory of God. 
You know why Janet has those kind of testimonies? I'm not putting her on a pedestal. Did you notice what's in her testimony? The word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. How much time do you and I spend in the word for our comfort? Hmm, for our well-being. When we need relief, when we need help, when we need a touch, do we turn to other methods? I don't mean sins, I mean vices. Do you turn on Andy and Barney because you need your mind relaxed? Do you play a game because you need your mind relaxed? Do you need, no, go to the word. Go to God. Here's why you need to fear God's justification. It took, it took the death of Jesus Christ to justify you and I before God Almighty. He gave the best he had. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. You know, if Jesus would have quit one step from Calvary, you and I would be bound to hell right now. Imagine he went through the whole process, the scourging, the beating, the making fun of, the accusations, the starving, the living here for 33 and a half years, the temptations, all the things that he suffered, everywhere he went, everything he'd done, somebody was there to stick their finger in his face and accuse him and down him and question him for what he did, and he was God. He was God. Yet he was man. He felt what you and I feel. He felt the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering the hunger, the thirst. He felt all of that. Could you imagine if he had went through every bit of that and got to Calvary and said, I'm done. I give up. How close are you and I to Calvary sometimes and we give up? That's where the victory really was, was at Calvary. The reason we need to fear God's justification and mercy is because of what it took to give us that justification of mercy. And you and I, me included sometimes, treat God's justification of mercy very loosely. We treat it very mildly. We do not take it serious sometimes like we should. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, God is not pleased with your sin and my sin. And don't look at me like you don't have any. If you want me to start writing mine down, I'll start writing mine down. But here's the, here's the catch. You're going to write yours down too. And we're going to share. You see, you, you can lie to me. But you can't lie to God. You can't fool him. I want to challenge you. I want to share with you a prayer request I've got. I'm really struggling. I have last year. I have more this year. Rather to have our, our winter revival again next year with Dale and Caleb. I'm really struggling to do it. Because I'm just not so sure that we haven't got more excited about the people than about God. I've said before, I don't want to, I want to not schedule a revival. I want God to send it when you and I get our hearts right with God. And you know what? If God wants Dale or Caleb here, he'll make them available. 
how beautiful heaven must be. You know what? I want some of heaven right now. When I walk with God, I talk with God, and I live with God, he gives me a little bit of heaven right now. I may have sorrows. I may have trouble. I may have doubts, and I may have pain. I may have confusion, and I may have burdens and all those things. But how beautiful heaven must be. I want a little bit of heaven now, don't you, sister? This old world's mean, wicked, and it's rocking and rolling and it's reeling and, and a lot of people in this country and other countries think they got the answers and they got things under control. We ain't got no control. God controls all of this. They talk about the oceans flooding and all this stuff, and I'm not telling you it won't do it, but you think we're going to stop that? You're out of your mind. There's only one person going to stop that or change that, and that's God Almighty. Jeremy's got a bug in his throat. Satan's got a hold of him. So here's what I want to ask you to do. John, I want you to just come to the piano and play softly. I want you to search your heart. Ask God to search your heart. And ask God if there's something you need to confess and do and go through with it. Back it up. Is there something there between you and Jesus? I don't want anything between. Now I want to ask you another very sobering question. I don't know the hearts of anyone that's here. I've watched some of you for over five years, some of you last time. I don't know where you stand when it comes between you and God other than what I've seen with my eyes and what I've witnessed with my ears. I will say my spirit has bared witness with some of you. So that, that's pretty good evidence that I think we're both carrying the same spirit with us. Do you fear God's judgment enough that you know for sure that you're born again or you've just been fooling us, yourself, and trying to fool God? Is there enough fear there of his judgment, his justice, and his righteousness that you say, you know what? I'm not sure. Just go in softly play, brother. You are born again. Maybe you are saved. There's no doubts, no questions. Right now, at a church near our house, they had a meeting Wednesday night in their church that was phenomenal just a little softer brother and over in the youth church what the church didn't realize and the youth church didn't realize is God was moving over there as well so this past week that church has been meeting every night we went Thursday night and nobody really preached but people sang a guy gave a testimony that was the kind of mini sermon Amber heard about and on and off the whole time people was coming to the altar pouring their heart out to God begging God to do something God we know you're doing something what is it and please don't let me stand in the way I want in on it do you want God to do something that's my challenge to you this morning I do I want God to do something 
I don't know how much longer we've got left. A guy that comes to our work, he hangs out there on his days off. Sometimes he gets on our everlasting nerve. Was in a major head-on car wreck two days ago. The guy they said had hit him was doing at least 90. For the most part, he's okay. The other ones weren't. That could be you and me when we leave here in a few minutes. If God called my number today, I don't want anything between him and I. I don't. So is there something between you and God? Do you really, really want God to move in this church and in your life? That's my challenge to you today. I'm not asking anybody to come to the altar and pray, but I'm presenting you with a challenge. If you can't kneel, I would say sit on the front pew. And that's, I believe that's God's challenge to us as a church. Do you want to see God move? And do you fear God? Do you fear his judgment, his justice, and his justification? You should. You should.